platform listeners, it's Claudia here from Clayview. We've researched 50 UK retailers and found 80% could improve personalised product discovery. Find out how. Download our new e-commerce discovery report at clayview.com forward slash UK report. Hello and welcome back to the Replatform podcast. It's myself, James, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Paul Rogers. How are you today, mate? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. I, I believe you had an exciting weekend where you got a dose of the vaccine and then felt very rough. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, not not a good weekend. How was your weekend? Better than yours, so I feel I feel good. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, I probably had a, a more enjoyable, energetic weekend than you did. I wasn't lying in a bed feeling very sorry for myself, but I'm glad to hear you're better. So today's topic, we got uh, another interesting topic today. So we're, we're discussing using AI, artificial intelligence, to improve on-site search and, and merchandising. Now, the term AI is used quite freely in our industry, but not always accurately. And I think, you know, from speaking to teams, there's still a little bit of uncertainty about what's the difference between machine learning and AI, what is generally artificial intelligence? Um, how can AI measurably benefit e-commerce teams? There are a lot of questions people want to answer. Like, it sounds great, but how would I use it? What does it do differently that I can't just do myself? Um, today, we welcome Sierra of uh, Data Science for a market-leading AI-driven search merchandising and personalization platform, Attract. So I'll let them introduce and explain better what Attract does in a second. Um, but welcome to the podcast, uh, Mark. How are you, sir? Very good, James. Uh, hi, Paul. Yeah, good to meet you guys again and looking forward to the to the podcast. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And welcome, Nicola. Thanks for joining us from Paris today. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, James. Hi, Paul. Um, cool. So before we start asking you lots of annoying questions, it'd be really useful if you could both kind of talk about what you do for Attract and get, uh, give us your position. Where does Attract sit in the market and what does it do? Sure, James. I'll, I'll start with that. So Mark Adams, I'm the CEO at Attract. I've been at the company since June, joined from big commerce and e-commerce platform vendor that I'm sure you guys are familiar with. And yeah, I've been in and around e-commerce really for most of my, my career as you guys have. Uh, I think today um, the customer experience is one of the areas in which retailers and brands are investing the heaviest. I think the pandemic has shown that you know, historically traffic to an e-commerce website was really important and perhaps not enough focus on on the conversion piece. Well, now the pandemic has caused this massive increase in the amount of traffic retailers and brands are getting, and of course they've got to convert that revenue and and or convert that traffic, if you like, into revenue. And really, that's what attracts technology does. We do that through um, powerful search engine capability, which will return um, products and the results that consumers are looking for. Uh, merchandising tools that enables the brand and the retailer to um, you know, put together um, products in a sequence that is, is going to make sense, that will help the customer navigate what they're looking for in, in an easier way, in a more consistent way, and give them the tools and the technologies to drive conversion, which will ultimately drive greater revenues and grow their digital channels. That That is essentially what we do. Great. Um, so I'll ask the first question. So you have two products, so Fred Hopper and XO. Can you give us a bit of an introduction to each of those and just talk us through how they differ and how they suit different businesses? Sure, Paul. So actually, Paul, we kind of have three products, I guess. We have Fred Hopper and XO, but we also have a new AI search technology, which we acquired in October last year. That AI search technology now powers the search experiences for both Fred Hopper and XO. So I'd like to make that, that point first. In terms of Fred Hopper and, and XO, they are two different platforms and technologies, if you like. Fred Hopper is, is really an enterprise-grade search and merchandising technology. It helps to optimize the customer experience for, for some of the world's leading brands and retailers, where quite literally billions in revenue is going through the e-commerce sites of those retailers. Um, this is a great product fit for um, retailers and brands that require a higher level of curation over how they're showing products on the website, if you like, um, and often across different categories and different geographies and for multiple brands. And typically, these brands will have expert merchandisers managing and trading uh, the website. And if you take, say, some of our luxury retailers, the way they merchandise is, is really important. So they're using a sophisticated uh, kind of business rules capability to merchandise exactly what product appears next to another product 
in the journey because that's really important to a, to a luxury brand, for example. Um, but over the years, we've been investing in building AI into Fred Hopper more and more. Uh, and I guess this is where it, what, what it comes down to is, you know, how much of, a, of the experience is powered by traditional business rules capability and how much is pow- powered by automation using artificial intelligence. I guess we'll come back to that through the course of this podcast. Um, now, now, so Fred Hopper is a, is a great fit for these sophisticated brands and retailers, often global, often really significant scale and, and lots of revenue going through the, the, the digital channels, the websites. XO actually started out life as a powerful AI-based personalization technology. That was, in fact, the reason that Attract acquired that technology in 2019. Um, and today, it still is a, a powerful AI-based technology for personalization in its own right. However, over the last couple of years, we've, we've seen more potential from XO, and we've started building in an end-to-end set of capabilities around search, uh, so we, we embedded a new search engine into XO earlier this year, uh, and now AI search. So the Aleph acquisition that we made in, in October last year will be powering the AI search capability in XO. So it's an end-to-end technology, if you like, as well for the whole experience. And we see XO as a better fit for retailers and brands that have um, a requirement to, to automate an awful lot more using AI. They don't have the big teams, the expert merchandisers in those teams uh, with all the knowledge, you know, pouring over all the analytics data to understand what to recommend, when to understand how to sequence and merchandise the products or, or whatever that might be. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a better fit, we believe, for smaller, faster-growing brands and retailers that want a technology that can be embedded very quickly. It's very open. It's cloud native, API first. It is scalable also, um, and 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 provide a set of suite of capabilities for for those types of retailers and brands. So we're really addressing, I guess, two different markets or segments of the market. And if you look at most technology vendors today, guys, I mean, you, you think about say Shopify, awesome product for small and medium sized and fast growing brands. Not such a great fit for large, sophisticated enterprise brands, same, same to some extent as big, big commerce, although they're moving up market quicker. Oftentimes, a single product to serve all segments of the market is, is not appropriate. And so that's why we've got a, a multi-product strategy in our business. That makes sense. Um, can, you just talk us, can you just talk to us about the new search solution in a bit more detail as well? Yeah, so we acquired... Um, Aleph, which is an AI search technology, back in October, uh, it was. It, it's been fairly ob- obvious to attract for a number of months or, or years, even that this new breed of AI search capability w- was required. And I think really Google changed that. I don't know how long ago it now was that Google introduced their new algorithms, which really allowed um, consumers to type in long, complex search queries and actually get accurate results back. It's probably five, six, seven years that Google's been doing that. The e-commerce world, though, I think was pretty slow to catch on to those changes, but the consumer behavior began to change. So all of a sudden, on e-commerce websites, consumers would be typing in long, complex search queries, which traditional search engines just couldn't handle. Um, a, A great example I like to use is uh, and this is because the Aleph guys were using this one when we were talking to them as we were making this acquisition, is you, you type a traditional search engine is very good at recognizing an exact match against the product data from the search query. So let's say you, you type in red dress. It's fairly obvious that that consumer is looking for a red dress. We'll match that to the product data in the description of the product. Bingo, we can return the product fairly accurately. And traditional search engines work for those kind of use cases really well. But when the consumer starts typing in something else with additional context, perhaps, around what they're looking for, um, the search engine struggles to return those, those types of products. And the example I would use is, um, you know, a, a, a cocktail dress, a red cocktail dress uh, for, a, for a party. Now, all of a sudden, you're introducing a lots of different words which have different meanings and semantic understandings and the search engine needs to be able to understand that and return an accurate result well that is what ai search is able to do it's been driven by google like shopping search experiences for a number of years 
And now we're able to offer that to, to our retail and brand customers and give them the same kind of uh, capability. We've deployed AI search into a number of existing customers and we did a number of proof of concepts last year and the results were, were astounding. I mean, we've almost, we've almost eliminated zero search results, for example, pretty much eliminated zero search results. Conversions up by you know, 25 to 50% on, on search queries um, and revenue was up on all of the proof of concepts uh, that we did as well. So we can demonstrate that it's adding much more value. It's it's helping conversion. It's helping improve the revenue. Um, so it's it it is the future of of what search technology will look like for most retailers and brands, in my view. I'd really yeah. Let's let's drill into that a bit more because I think this is a really interesting point. Um, you know, we always say that search is a broken experience. I mean, there, there's some great research from Baymard. They've benchmarked loads and loads of sites. And they looked at all the different user journeys from browse search and search is underperforming compared with other browse journeys on most of the retailers. So I completely agree that the the, the complexity that that most default search engines deal with is just it's poor. Like the the complex query matching is very very generic. I'd love to understand if we could get a bit more detail about how your AI does that. Well, obviously without giving away the crown jewels, but um, I think still think a lot of people misunderstand the difference between what AI is doing versus machine learning, where the machine is able to learn over time what people click on and what their affinities are. So could you just clarify a few key use cases, how your AI is able to pass complex queries intelligently and know what they really mean? Nicola, why don't you pick that one up? Yeah, sure. So basically, um, the main benefits of uh, having a, a search dri driven by AI is that AI will not only uh, look at every keyword in the in the search query. It will try to understand what uh, user who did some queries before were looking for. So basically, it will use uh, past behaviors of each single visitor on a website or a mobile app or, or whatever the, the channel is. It will lose, look at how those uh, users interacted with the search engine and what they fi finally uh, viewed as a product or purchased or thing like that. So, for example, if I'm going back to the, the example uh, Mark said before regarding looking for a red patterned cocktail dress, for example, the AI will split this query into sub-queries. Um, so, there, there is some uh, subjective words like uh, co cocktail dress. What is exactly a cocktail dress? There is no uh, defi uh, an objective definition of it. Uh, basically, it's, it's highly subjective. And there is some other words which are more um, uh, direct, like red. Uh, we know it's an attribute, so it's easy to, to find. So it will split the query into sub-queries, wait uh, it will waste, wait every uh, subquery. So for example, um, uh, some some words could be less important than other one. So it will highlight what are the most important words in the query, and it's really helpful with uh, NLP. But I think we will we will discuss that later on. And um, so it, it, once this query is splitted into subqueries, it will look at what users uh, uh, looked at before based on those specific queries. So for example, it will understand what cocktail dress means, because when a user looks for cocktail dress, they are final, finally browsing this kind of product. So that's how the AI can self-learn on how to which products are the most uh, impactful for uh, search query like a red pattern cocktail dress. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. And an interesting feature that I've seen is the ability for the AI to auto-generate behavioural segments, which I think is quite good because a lot of people are used to the fact they have to create manual segments that they can then use to apply um, merchandising rules or search rules. Could you explain to people, how does that auto-segmentation feature work? How does the AI do that? And how are other e-commerce teams using it? That'd be really useful to know. Yes, sure. So first, I think uh, both uh, segmentation patterns make sense. Uh, uh, creating uh, segments manually is good because you understand what how you segment users. So basically, you create a group with all your, your users who came to the website in the last two weeks or something like that. It's really easy to understand. And so it's it's good to, to, to create those segments. But it's limiting because you can't create segments for everything. You can't uh, apply, uh, find which rule to apply applied for any kind of users. So that's where, why AI comes, because AI will be able to, to find patterns that, in, that a merchandiser can't really create manually. How does it work? Um, basically, it will compare how people are interacting with the website 
and it will create some groups of similar uh, user behaviors. So we we call that we call that uh, twins basically. So uh, you have a user will browse some some specific products on the website. He will have a, a specific customer journey, and you try to find other people who have kind of the same customer journey, but not exactly the same, but it's it's really similar. And by comparing those two behaviors, we are able to predict what will be the next action for a specific user. So that's something really, uh, it's a pattern really known on uh, on recommendations on Zrines. For example, when you do things like uh, users who bought this also bought this. Uh, so that's a, pat a pattern which is really common. But when you want to apply it to, uh, to create a segment based on that, you will apply the same kind of algorithms, but you will apply it to a group instead of a, an individual. So you will find, you will create group of users which have some similar behaviors and you will create the, you will calculate the average next best action for this particular group. So as you can guess, it's a little more uh, difficult to explain um, um, because it's based on mathematical models. But, uh, but at the end, the results are uh, really good because uh, it's statistical, so so it's uh, uh, usually it's it's more relevant than something you create uh, manually. Not always, but but uh, but usually it it it's performs really well. And the best thing is to mix both both approach. So creating things that are easily understandable and you can create from rules mixed with things that you will create from uh, thanks to AI and which are a little more difficult to to understand, but uh, but which are performing really well. So how does it work in times of uh, uh, so one of the thing that, that that marketers will do is they'll create meaningful segments based on the size. So how does the AI do it to make sure the segment is meaningful? So it's not just we created a segment and there's only ten people in it. Does it does it have like capacity limits to say okay this size must be more than you know x thousand people or how does that work? So yes, you can have some um, some uh, capacity limits, but uh, the first question is. Uh, uh, creating a group of 10 users is not always bad. Sometimes if it's relevant, it can be good. So for example, having a, a, a you, you don't need to have all the, the segments of, of the same size. So for, for example, um, creating a segment with some, um, petite size, probably it won't fit a lot of people, but uh, it's relevant because we, you have some dedicated product from for them. So the relevancy of a segment is uh, when it it match some products you have, and when it it match um, basically what it enables you to highlight some long tail products you won't be able to highlight without uh, segmentation. And um, it's, it's a big difference between one to all and one to many. Uh, with one to all, you will. Um, highlight the products that are uh, the most sold on your on your platform or with your um, uh, best margin or thing like that. With one too many, you can start working on the the long tail by highlighting some products that will only fit a small group of users. And the next step will be to go to one to one, which is really to 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 do a specific uh, uh, recommendations or ranking for each single user. And um, last question on the segmentation feature. Um, but do you have like an API available where people can use this data for things like content personalization? Or is this something that you plan to do in the future? Uh, yes, we have that. So in our EXO product, which is a little more uh, open, so it exposes more the data we collect to, to third parties and directly to the clients. Uh, we have uh, APIs for that. So the client, the client can retrieve all the, the segments we, we calculate and they can also integrate those segments in their uh, own CRM or own uh, algorithms uh, or things like that. Actually, that's a good point. I mean, Paul, this is part of our, our product strategy is to harmonize the integration methods across both of both of our products. That's something we're actually working on at the moment. So the underlying API is actually, um, and we're working on this in the roadmap at the moment, is the same for both Fred Hopper, the new Fred Hopper API is the same as the XO API. Um, and so this is part of our I would call it kind of a harmonization strategy. We want to build products that can be consumed by both of our core technologies and customers um, so that we don't need to reinvent it for, for across two different platforms. And that's certainly, certainly part of our strategy. Great. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Um, and then in terms, so another feature that James mentioned to me, and James knows the track a lot better than I do, um, is that you have uh, the ability to extract data from images and extract kind of characteristics and attributes from uh, product images. Um, can you talk us through how this works? And yeah, just uh, maybe give us an introduction to some of the benefits that this has for some of your customers. Yes, sure. So uh, first, images tell way more things than uh, what you can describe in a in a product. Uh, I think one of the biggest challenge of any retailer today is to have um, enough data in their descriptions and in their uh, product uh, attributes. It's really a challenge. Most of the more products you have in your catalog, the less data you will have on each product, uh, and mainly for things like marketplace, where the retailer doesn't own. Uh, doesn't even own the product description, so it's it's really a challenge. And the the data you have in each image is way more uh, accurate than uh, what you have in the description. And so it needs AI if you want to extract those uh, those data and convert them to something which is closer to an attribute. So a good example would be, for example, for in the fashion industry, for example, um, things like patterns. Uh, you will always have a color in your attribute, so you will know if the, the dress is red or black or or blue. But what you won't have is, for example, uh, um, white with a red red dots or, or, or with red flowers on it, or it's, if, if, the, if it's a den, denim or if it's with polka dot or thing like that, it's really some advanced um, uh, patterns. And the AI recognition system can detect that and 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 reach your your product uh, automatically, which is a, a real need for any retailers today. Yes, I think anything that can speed up that that process um, from having to manually assign attributes to uh, to a large catalogue is a benefit, definitely. Yeah, and it can be done in in a, a near real time. So it means uh, as soon as a product arrive in in uh, is imported in our platform, we apply this AI algorithm and they are enriched. Where uh, when you do that manually, usually it requires several teams to work on it. You will have a, a product information management system, and uh, there is a, a workflow where things are enriched, and it can take uh, uh, hours if, if it's not days to to have enriched products where AI can be near real time. Yeah, and so to, sorry to make sure that do you say it, so it can auto populate data as like attribute pairs? So it can say, okay, this is uh, this product has this attribute and the attribute value is X. So it can automatically just store it in that format. Yes, yeah, so that's what we call visual tagging. And basically, yeah. we are creating a, um, a tag, uh, we, are, we are assigning tags. Uh, which comes from images to a product. So um, it's it's like a, a tag cloud of any single uh, things we det the AI detected in the image, and we assign that to the product so it can be used um, later on by any other system, such as a merchandising system, for example, if you want to create rules on, on tags that have been uh, calculated by the AI uh, algorithm, it, it, you can do that. This is, yeah. this is a really interesting point, James, because if you think about... The, the way that most retailers and brands today, even you know pretty sophisticated ones, the, the search experience is a bit broken. And that's because your configuration of the search technology takes a lot of time and effort. Uh, often it gets ignored when people are replatforming. It's kind of the last thing they look at. In my day, strange, that was always the thing that we kind of looked at when we were implementing e-commerce sites. Uh, kind of last, and it really should be one of the first things you do. But the, the the tooling really isn't there for people to actually control, configure it. So that's the first problem. And and I guess what AI do it is doing is just removing even the need for developer intervention to to configure the search engine at all. So we're kind of fast forwarding um, and providing a whole new set of capabilities um, that normally you know retailers have to go through a life cycle. Okay pick the right technology that will give us the, the ability to actually influence, configure, um, you know, work with the search engine technology over time and constantly adapt it to immediately being able to um, automate that. And I, there's, I think this, is, um, this comes down to this wider kind of topic of the, the democratization of e-commerce. You look at some of the vendors now that are really changing the world for for, for certainly for smaller brands and retailers, the likes of Shopify, Big Commerce, and others, 
Um, I think what AI can do for those small retailers and brands, what those technology platforms did for them. Because if if now we can provide a suite of tools and capabilities that can completely automate that experience without any of the heavy investment, integration, technical tasks to get it set up and working, all of a sudden these smaller brands and retailers can have a Google-like shopping experience um, and can compete against these world-leading brands and retailers on, on a like-for-like basis. And it's certainly why with XO, we've got this strategy to take it to, to, into the mid-market and the, and, and the, the, the small to bit, um, business market as well, because you know, democratizing e-commerce and allowing everyone the same capabilities, I think, is, is one of the reasons, certainly, that I'm in e-commerce today. I think it's it's an interesting kind of distinction for our, our listeners about that because there's two bits. So number one is an AI engine that's able to semantically pass complex queries and know, you know, for example, that that blue is a color. It's not part. You don't worry about the product type. It's a color attribute, and in stock means check the stock availability. There's that bit. But fundamentally, it's relying on underlying data as well. And I think from what I've, what I've seen with clients, is the biggest struggle is getting high-quality product data in at the start, kind of alluding to your point earlier, because under the heat of battle of trading, when someone says you've got 2,000 products to get on the site in the next two weeks, inevitably product data gets compromised, and especially when it's coming from loads of suppliers who might not be supplying it all in a consistently high, um, high quality. So having that, I think that ability to extract data um, – from an image and to add rich attribute data without having to worry about it is definitely a time-saving advantage. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the, another feature that, that I saw, I had a, a demo a few months back, I think, with, with Georg, um, uh, which is quite nice because the last time he demoed for me was in the House of Fraser days in 2015, so how... It's uh, it's been a while, um, but he he was showing me the feature where you can automate product recommendations on PDPs. So um, the tool can extract data from the image, and then there's a bag in the image, and there's a pair of shoes, and these are the products that mo- best match those visually and automate instead of you having to create like get the look bundles. Can you talk us through how does how does the the tool in enable that and how does it how does it uh, provide that functionality sure and and maybe nicola you can come on to some of the uh, other visual merchandising piece once once i talk about um how we're doing it with search the search results can be controlled using boost and berry rules you'll all be familiar uh, with visual merchandising through kind of a drag and drop interface and we can apply that then to different campaigns we can target and offer banner campaigns with a single call to action or uh, image map cam- campaigns for banners and uh, multiple products outside of perhaps an organic search result. So we have a, a, a lot of embedded tooling and functionality to provide you know, merchandisers with a, with a high degree of um, curation over how they show it based on what business rules and, and whatever else. Additionally, we're able to kind of trigger uh, segments, as we've been talking about, uh, from search result pages for different users based on the context, i.e., they might be uh, female versus male, if we've got that data, or the user came into us via, say, Google or from another channel, and then we can uh, you know, dynamically create that segment and target a campaign or uh, actions against that particular user or group of users. Um, on, Nicola, on the, um, on the kind of AI-powered approach to that, why don't, we talk, why don't we talk about that for a moment? Yes, so uh, I, I think what you are referring to is a shop the look feature where our AI is able to uh, detect some uh, uh, products contained in a, in a picture. So basically on, on a product catalog, you will have uh, a picture for every, all of your products. But uh, in, a, in a website, if you think wider than uh, the, the product catalog, you will want to create some uh, content. And on a fashion website, for example, a, a really common content content will be um, uh, looks. So you have a model will wear uh, two, three, four of your products, and you will have a picture of all those products um, uh, emb- embedded in one picture. Uh, and it's always a challenge in, in terms of merchandising because it's not linked uh, uh, to a product. And most of the time, um, the, the retailer won't, uh, keep the, the, won't keep track of what product was in this particular shooting. And so thanks to our AI capabilities, we are able to uh, analyze the, the image and 
and um, extract each product that was in the image. So we can create a, a sh what we call a shop the look recommendation. So you will have the, the model with all the product he's wearing. And next to that, you will have a recommendation with all of those uh, products extracted with a direct link to the product page. And you can still apply some merchandising rules on that. So if you want, for example, to um, extract the products from an image, display those products, but you, you want, you want to, um, uh, to um, display alternative products, but always with the same uh, colors on it or from different brands or from the same brand or things like that, you can still apply this um, level of human control on top of uh, your recommendation. And it's a common feature for all the, um, all the feature we release in the platform, basically. You always have AI and you can always apply uh, human control on top of it. So you, you can um, masterize what your algorithm will uh, will push and detect by itself. Great. And um, another question for me, so um, slightly different to the questions we've had so far, but, and Mark, you've mentioned a few platforms that you're working with and also kind of um, co commoditizing some of the technology and kind of bringing it to smaller brands. Um, which platforms and technologies are you working with at the moment? And how has this changed in recent times, given all the new entrants and kind of uh, movement in the space at the moment? Yeah, I mean, we, we've got out-of-the-box integrations to a number of the leading e-commerce platform technologies, and we've had some of those in place for a number of years, if you take the um, Magento connector, for example. Um, in recent years, we've also built the, the same connectors into Shopify and BigCommerce, um, and uh, more recently into commerce tools. So th there are definitely a new breed of disruptors in our industry um, that Many of them came out of the SMB space and are moving up market and are providing more, more and more sophistication. And their strategy, actually, to go to market is to partner to provide a best-of-breed approach. And, of course, that fits our strategy really well because we're a best-of-breed search and merchandising technology. We're not a stack in our own right either. Uh, so we're much more complementary, I guess, with these, uh, these, types, of, these types of vendors. Uh, but our strategy doesn't stop there. We, we also need to be plugged into the front-end uh, experience technologies that are powering this new headless movement. So you think front-end uh, technologies and content management technologies, um, we need to be exposed there also. So I guess we've got a two-tier strategy, integration into the, the back-end, the, where the data is coming from, that could be PIM or e-commerce platform. Um, and in the front end, and it could be e-commerce platform, front storefront technology, or a third-party technology. And, and we're trying to address both of those uh, particular use cases. And you know, new partners that we've um, recently got involved with are, are guys like Ampliance and Magnolia, Frontastic uh, as well. Uh, and you know, we, we continue to evolve that strategy. So, quick yeah. question on on those integrations: um, Are you? Is this? How's it working with the like the SaaS platforms? Because a, a lot of times people talk about server-side integrations having a benefit in terms of performance and speed, et cetera. So is the integration done at that level or is it, it basically, is it almost like app-based where it's JavaScript solutions or is it both? <laughs> yeah, I'll let Nicola answer that, but yes, it can be both or, or it can be via uh, purely via an API. Nicola, why don't you answer that? Uh, yes, so, so I'm sorry. So it can be both, but I think um, uh, there, there is different uh, way for clients to configure the platform. The, the important thing is the platform is the API first. It means every single feature is exposed through an API. Uh, so it, it follows the headless uh, trend, uh, which is really uh, right now um, a mandatory kind of architecture. So both of our products are 100% are, are headless. Um, now, regarding the way to implement it, so you can implement it uh, directly in your front end, thanks to JavaScript or any other technologies. Um, you can implement it in the, uh, on server side, but more and more uh, clients will do something which is kind of hybrid because there is some benefits of uh, uh, client side implementation. There is also some benefits of, of uh, server side implementation. You don't have to choose one. You can, depending on each use case on the website, if it's more um, a component based page, for example, uh, then you will you will use our front end APIs. But if um, it's for powering your your uh, list page, for example, where you need to cache things, uh, and then you will probably go for the server side implementation. So you can really do both, and we 
help our clients to to define the best architecture uh, for for that. Great. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I feel like a lot of the vendors that are doing really well at the moment are building lots of integrations and generally kind of opening up the platform. Um, so moving on to XO and um, product recommendations specifically, how do the rule engine, how do the rules engines work, and how granular can teams get around this stuff? Yeah. So um, basically, you can define how much uh, rules you want to 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 set up, or if you want something re- that rely uh, only on AI. So the first layer is AI. So we will automate everything. But then you can add some uh, control on top of that. And some retailers will will add a lot of control, like uh, luxury brands or or this kind of uh, uh, clients will really want to control everything. Um, but we have other clients where they want to fully rely on AI and they will apply only a small number of rules. The way the platform is built uh, allows that uh, flexibility. So you can really um, <laughs> configure things and 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 let the AI uh, control most of your website, or you can apply some rules. And of course, you can also uh, create some complex rules where you will have uh, different markets, uh, different um, um, product category managers. So we can also handle really complex organizations, but um, it really depends on any, uh, on each customer and what they really want to, to how they really want to use our platform. And a question related to that. Um, how does your platform work in terms of uh, pulling in like uh, uh, external data sources to give you stronger data points for applying conditions? I mean, I've, example, I've, I've worked with um, uh, platforms in the past like Monetate where you can plug in pretty much any any open data source you like, uh, like weather APIs, etc. So what, what's the extensibility, I guess, of, of um, the Attract ecosystem to push in external data sources? So the platform is, is fully open. Uh, we built uh, last uh, last year uh, a new CDP, a customer data platform, which is common for both of our products, XO and, and Predator. And this uh, um, platform, this data platform is fully open. So you can inject uh, any kind of data sources in it. Uh, you can configure those data sources uh, in, our plat- in our console. Uh, so you can send uh, uh, be, you can send behavior data, CRM data, product from any uh, um, data from any product management system. So basically, you can inject anything. Uh, but I think most of the platforms on the on the market can receive uh, many data points. But the true openness comes when you can also export everything. And we expose all the data we collect, all the data we enrich, and everything we calculate to our customers. So they can plug their own analytics tool, their own uh, business intelligence tool, even their own algorithm to our data. So openness is not only about being able to retrieve any kind of data, but it's also being able to um, expose everything and leave this uh, um, black box uh, area where most of the platform in this market are perceived like kind of black box. And we want to avoid that. So anything we, we create or we calculate can be used by our clients, and we have API for that. Right. Um, and when it comes to A/B testing, what features do you have in Attract or the different products um, around this? So, what can be tested? What kind of algorithms do you support? Um, does the AI is the AI part of this? Yeah. So um, we have an integrated A/B test platform. Uh, I think it's uh, it's key for uh, any personalization pro- project to really apply a test and learn approach. So so it's important to have it uh, embedded in the platform. So you can A/B test everything, but uh, the the main difference between um, um, a standard A/B test platform and and the A/B test platform we have internally is that you can create some A-B tests at a merchandising level or at an algorithm level. So you won't only test uh, how to display things, how to which assets to, to display, but you will really test um, um, at the level of what you configured, how you how you use algorithms, what kind of human control you apply on top of your algorithms. And so that's really a, a, a key aspect of of, um, of our A/B testing platform because this kind those kind of tests you can't do that with a, with a, um, a standard A/B test platform on the market. So so it's really integrated in our product, and it's also um, a matter of um, 
um, how you will use our product. So basically, when you will create a new uh, strategy, a new recommendations um, area on your website, the f the first thing you will have to to answer uh, after telling <laughs> which strategies you want to apply to this particular uh, placement, you will create an A-B test. So we really encourage that. It's it's embedded in all the, the creation process. Um, and I think it's really key. So so yeah, it's it's fully embedded in our in our platform in every step of the of the creation process. Does it um does it enable people to do the the holdout test where it's basically okay, we're gonna test a set of recommendations versus just default product list within this space? Yes, uh, so you can test uh, AI-based recommendations versus uh, non, not AI-based recommendations, like uh, regarding re versus any scores you you will have, which yeah. can be based on your popular product popularity or thing like that. Uh, but more important is that um, usually there is no one algorithm that will beat them all. So it's not really around testing one algorithm versus uh, no algorithm or versus another algorithm. The 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 you will. Really really create uh, additional value when you will find the best algorithm match mix. Uh, so, so you will create a mix of different algorithms. You will um, um, assign each algorithm to a specific kind of user. So for example, you won't apply the same algorithm for your returning users or for your new visitors, for anonymous users, because it's really important, but a big part of the traffic is uh, anonymous today and more and more with all the, those new cookie policies and things like that. So you can personalize uh, based on anonymous behavior. And it's just different kind of algorithms. So you really need to find the best mix. Um, and that's what you will uh, A-B test today. Okay. Thanks very much for clarifying. Uh, a question I've got um, following on to this is around reporting. So uh, search reports and analytics tools by default are quite plain. They don't give you a mass amount of detail. I'd love to hear what, what reporting do you provide um, in the platform, um, specific to the site search capability. So most of the of the data we, you you will be able to analyze on the on the platform is, uh, um, of course, you you will analyze all your main business KPI. So you will be able to see uh, uh, in an A/B test result report or in an attribution report uh, what strategies performed the most. Um, but for us. A a key area of the analytics piece is not only to analyze what um, happened in the past based on your configurations, but it's also to be able to uh, have actionable insights. So having insights that will help you to, to create a better configuration for the future. And so we released last year a platform which is called the Strategy Console and which works for both F, uh, Fred Upper and Exo, and which is focused on what we call actionable insights. So it's a data visualization platform. It's really interactive and it will suggest you uh, things to do. So for example, if uh, for search, it will tell you uh, on these specific keywords, users uh, usually uh, browse two pages be before finding the product they are looking for. So there is probably an area of optimization here. But more than that, it will guide you on what to uh, optimize. So it will suggest synonyms to create. It will suggest configurations to change. So it's what we call actionable insights. It's uh, insights that will guide you on what are the best next action to take on your side uh, in the platform. That sounds great. I think those um, kind of proactive areas within an admin interface make a massive difference. Um, so final question, uh, and one that I wanted to add in purely out of interest from some of the stuff we've talked about today. Um, what's on? What are some of the big items on your roadmap for 2021 that you can talk about? I'll, I'll pick that up first, and then Nicola, maybe you can uh, elaborate on it. Um, so there... Uh, we've talked about kind of just data integration more generally and in in our strategy there, and that, that continues to form a key part of our uh, roadmap. I mean, James, you, you mentioned there that the difficulties with data integration, we see it with every customer on every single project um, and, you know, getting the data right uh, and into a format with the enriched data as quickly and easily as possible is something that um, no single technology vendor can solve outright. It's a collection of, um, approaches and and tools and capabilities and and data integration tools that that help us 
improve that experience for, for, for our customers and for merchants. So that's something we continue to be focused on. Um, exposing and, and building on top of the AI search capability uh, that we acquired back in uh, October last year is, is definitely part of a strong part of the roadmap. So right now we're focused on continuing to roll out the semantic um, search capabilities within that, that, that search engine, but we've talked about visual search. There are things like voice search and the tagging and all of all of those other things. We continue to roll that out in our roadmap, um, continuing to harmonize um, capabilities between the two products. So embedding things like Nicholas talked about algorithm orchestration, which is a capability on the Exo stack. Uh, where we have it in our roadmap to expose that into the Fred Hopper. Uh, platform as well. Um, we've talked about data analytics and the data visualization tooling. There's more of that. And I guess Nicola can talk to about, uh, you know, the Attract Labs and the purpose of that new innovation team we set up in January this year and, and, and you know, where we will go with that. Sure. So, uh, yes, on the, on the Attract Lab, we are focusing on um, developing new ideas or new highly innovative projects, which are not yet part of our roadmap. So the idea is to challenge a little our roadmap on new topics and work closely with uh, clients on that. So we have a, a, a small client groups that are um, early testers and, and participate uh, on the ideation process. Uh, and we we identify some uh, some new ideas. We test them directly on two to three clients. Um, and, and then when it's validated, it, it integrates our um our product roadmap and so basically we focus on on different areas but um, um marked uh, marked out before about everything regarding analytics and things like that it's part of uh, what we are working on the data piece is important also um data enrichment uh, so there is many areas which are um close to our products but not part of our product roadmap and we we mainly focus on that there's one thing I, I I missed off there as well, guys. The we're we're very focused on self serve capabilities in in both our technologies in Fredopper and XO. So we want the customer or a partner to be able to implement, integrate, manage, maintain our technologies with limited or no involvement from attract personnel. Uh, if that's what the customer. Uh, wants to be able to do. So right now we've got a, a strong roadmap around partner enablement capabilities, self-serve capabilities in the XO stack, um, which will will mean environments could be set up by the customer, the partner, completely independently of us, um, on demand, um, pushed through to production environments. All of those things um, just makes it much more self-service. And as we expand our addressable market into that mid-market and smaller customers um, that are often you know, managed and driven by certainly, you know, third parties like systems integrators and agencies, that kind of tooling and capability will be really important to the, to that type of merchant and to those partners. So that's that's a big part of our strategy for this year on the and is roadmapped. Excellent. Um I, I've got a, I guess I've got a parting question, which is that when I speak to smaller businesses, and this could be people who are starting out online who are only doing a couple of million but want to grow quickly to 10 million plus, typically the there's a there's like a mental barrier where AIML platforms are considered for a large enterprise and they're too expensive and they can't have, make a business case, um, which mm. isn't always the case at all. So what what in your experience, what is the business case for small retailers? How can they make numbers work on smaller revenue bases? That so so, so I, let me talk first to our strategy in that market. The strategy in that market is the first thing that they will, they will often need to fix, retailers, merchants at that scale, is search. The search in the platforms they're using is not particularly sophisticated. They can't really configure or change it. And so often that will be the first thing they try to address. But once with, with XO, certainly, once you integrate search, all of the other capabilities are then literally um, switchable. So you could just switch on recommendations, you can switch on AI merchandising, um, and, and, and they become almost automatically available. So a strategy is if, if we can get the, the core search engine replaced with, say, an AI search capability on the, on the merchant's website, and we can do that very quickly um, with, with relatively low effort, it then just becomes natural that they would go and use other capabilities without having to you know, spend lots of money and time 
uh, integrating those, which is often one of the biggest challenges. If you if you have a project of 20, 30, 40 days to go and implement a new a new tech, we just as a small retailer, you're going to prioritize your your capital and your investment elsewhere. So that's one of the the benefits of the EXO stack. Once it's in, you can you can deploy the rest of it. And I, I guess to the point on you know how, how does the business case stack up then because they've got lower revenues. Well, if you can if you can impact search results um, and minimize those and, and ensure that every single item that's returned gets from a search query has a result to it and then the consumer can continue that journey. If you can then improve the conversion rates at each stage, overall, you're going to incrementally add to revenue without investing lots of additional time or effort. And I think that's the, always the opportunity cost with these things. It's not so much that, well, they don't get that they could drive extra conversion and extra revenue. And they, don't, they don't want that extra revenue. It's the cost to actually put it in in the first place, which is the barrier. So that's what we've tried to remove. Um, and as they scale, of course, every time they convert at, at a higher percentage, that increases revenue. And, well, that's how they grow. So that, that would be my, my answer to that question. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, makes perfect sense to me. Um, I think that I think half the time it's it's getting people to to understand when you have a big stack how you can break it down. I think that's why a lot of technology companies are going to that modular approach because it simplifies the the uh, the, the implementation piece. Um, cool. That's well. We've asked uh, all of the questions we wanted to ask today, so really appreciate you both taking the time to ex- uh, ex- you know, explain in more detail what the attract platform is and how it's used if if any of our listeners want to learn more or want to really probe in any of these areas into more detail uh who should they reach out to and how well we've we've got um an email address which is say hello at attract.com that's one way uh the other would be to ping me personally on linkedin uh, mark adams or email me mark adams at attract.com uh, and i can um make sure um the right person answers any questions if it's not myself fantastic so mark and nicola thank you very much for taking the time to explain the platform it's been uh, it's been enjoyable chatting to you both again um, and for those who've uh, who've been kind enough to listen in again to our podcast thank you very much we always appreciate people tuning in this is the last episode in our series on um uh, customer experience platforms for e-commerce and keep an eye out for the new series that starts next week on compliance and accessibility with an absolutely cracking episode on website accessibility and usability with rnib so the royal national institute for the blind um, if you haven't subscribed already please do and do let anyone else know you think might be interested